what is it that you can definitely tell is in that area of belonging? That's what you can observe. Another way that, that I'm able to help organizations is part of this five-step program that I helped put in place. And it's a cultural assessment survey. And in that survey, very specific questions are asked and you can determine whether the individual believes that they belong as long as they have been authentic with their answers to the questions, you have an idea whether they actually are belonging. So in addition to what you observe, you can also quantify it by uh, using the survey to, to really just get, to get a feel for it. Welcome to the Art of Communication, where entrepreneurs learn to grow their business more effectively through mastering their ability to connect to others. Whether you're looking to increase revenue, widen your network, or just getting others to buy into your vision, we'll help you dramatically transform your business and life by communicating more effectively, improving your leadership skills, and reinvesting time back into your family. You're only one good conversation away from transforming your business and your life. So let's start the conversation with your host, Greg Rice. Have you guys ever had a prospect tell you yes, but then disappear off the face of the earth? Or maybe you've given someone on your team very clear instructions just to find out that they actually did the opposite. I know that I've struggled with these challenges more than I would like to admit. And I really wanted to learn a better way to read my customers, my team, and the most important people in my life so that I could communicate with them more effectively. And the most powerful way that I found to do this is to learn to read body language and micro expressions. You see, their body and expressions will tell you the truth about how they really feel, even when their words do not. It's an incredibly powerful skill to learn and one that I want you to learn. And that's why I partnered with the leaders in body language training for business people to offer you a free six-week e-course on body language and micro-expressions. In this free course, you'll learn what micro-expressions are, why are they so powerful, how to spot them, and then how to read them. You'll learn how to make accurate readings, which is so important. You'll learn body language with a big focus on positive body language to understand when things are going really well. You'll learn how to read minds in real time and actually see a demonstration of this. And maybe most importantly, you'll learn how to spot lies and so much more. These folks have trained over 50,000 business leaders and the work has been published in the Harvard Business Review. The concepts have been proven to boost EQ by 10% and sales by 20%. So this is really powerful stuff, guys, that you'll definitely want to check out. So you can sign up for your free six-week e-course at bodylanguagemastery.gregjrice.com. Again, that's bodylanguagemastery.gregjrice.com. And make sure you guys go check that out to ensure that you're never left wondering what happened to that sale or why your team member did the opposite of what you expected them to. What's up, guys? Today I get to talk to Dr. Troy Hall. Now, Dr. Troy has been featured on the Today Show, ABC beyond the business radio show and, and many other places. He's an award-winning cultural strategist, speaker, best-selling author, and a talent retention expert. He's the author of the best-selling title, Cohesion Culture, Proven Principles to Retain Your Top Talent. And he's co-author of a new book release called Mission Matters, World's Leading Entrepreneurs Reveal Their Top Tips for Success. So this was a really powerful conversation, guys. You gotta check it out. We talked about what a cohesion culture is, why it's so important, and how do you achieve it. We talked about the nuances of company culture across different regions of the world. 
And we got into how to get employees fully engaged, therefore to get the most out of them, but also to give them the most rewarding and fulfilling career possible. Really powerful stuff. This changed my thinking a bit around how to drive a great culture. And I definitely suggest that you guys take the time to check this one out. Troy, welcome to the Art of Communication podcast. Really excited to get to chat with you today. Well, thank you. I'm so excited to not only be with you, but also to, to share more about communication with you all, all of your listeners. For sure, for sure. And you have a ton to say about communicating effectively, especially when we think about leadership and management and reducing turnover, right? Making sure employees are engaged. So we'll definitely be diving into that. But I'd love to start off just by learning more about you. I know that you had pulled together some really interesting facts about yourself. So I'd love for you to share some of that with the audience. Yeah, I I do this as part of my executive coaching program where I ask the individual I'm working with to say, tell me seven things about you that's not in a bio or a resume. And that that gives you permission to brag about yourself, right? So in communication, you're always like a little humble, you know, know, as a leader, you know, good humility is good to have that. But if you get permission to do it, then all of a sudden it's a lot more fun and you get to tell people stuff as opposed to, uh, you know, meeting someone for the first time and say, hey, I did this. (laughs) For sure. For sure. I love it. And seven things is a lot too to come up with on the spot. So I'm glad you're able yes, to pray. So yeah. And so what we're doing is we're helping these leaders who are listening to this, this art of communication is, you know, you should have a plan. I always tell people you need a plan and you need an exit strategy. <laughs> so, <laughs> so so we'll start with the plan. So here's seven things that you would, would not necessarily find exactly in a resume about me. So the first thing is is that I kissed the Blarney Stone in Cork Castle in Ireland. Ah, I did as well. As walking through that process and you have to, you know, the the castle is not like the traditional castle. So it's just crumbles, you know, pieces left of it. And they protected the Blarney Stone, which is up up above. It's not down below. It's up above. Mm -hmm. And you have to walk up and then you have to lean backwards and kiss the Blarney Stone. So there's no front kissing. It's backward kissing. So in that process, I said to my wife as, as we were doing it, I said, honey, I said, you know, if I kiss the Blarney Stone, do you think that will like cancel out all of the schmooze and the all of the you know Blarney that I already have now? And she said to me, she says, honey, she says, I don't think you'll have to worry. It's probably going to increase the Blarney. <laughs> Did it? So, so I guess what? And as typical, having been married for 44 years, she was right. Yeah, my <laughs> wife wouldn't kiss it. She got, she got up there and then she wouldn't do it. Yeah. So it's really, what a great experience. So I rode a camel in the Middle East, an Ooh. elephant in Asia, and a hot air balloon in Africa. That's awesome. And the difference between uh, elephants in Asia and Africa are the size of their ears. And that's how you can tell the difference between Asian uh, elephants and those that are in Africa. I had a koala bear and barely outran a kangaroo in Australia. And so we were having an outdoor excursion. We've gone on a a private tour and they took us to this outdoor uh, park where we would be able to, you know, commune with everyone and to do that. And the kangaroos, I think they almost thought we were the food source, you know, or maybe they were, we we were going to be challenged and and you don't want to be challenged with a kangaroo when it gets into the kicking boxing mode. So, so we were like, okay, let's, let's head back to the Jeep and let's get going to the next site. <laughs> uh, I shopped at a water mall in Thailand without getting out of the boat. So that's all the shopping experiences Ooh. on the water. Don't get out of the boat to do any of that. You do all the shopping through the through the waterways, the canals. I was chased by an albino peacock in France. 
Now, let's put that together. That's an oxymoron, albino peacock. But I have the photos to prove that. I've ziplined <laughs> through the trees in the Caribbean. And finally, I've traveled to 45 states, over 60 countries, and visited six continents. Wow, you're really making me want to travel. Yeah, I know. And I've been longing to get back into the traveling mode again. So I'm um, hopefully that uh, we'll have that opportunity here maybe later this year or uh, definitely the first of next year. We can make that happen. You know, before we dive in, actually, an interesting thought came up. You've done a ton of travel. You've obviously done a lot of work globally. I'm curious how you've seen the impact of different cultures on the business culture, right? And, and how folks communicate within an organization. Have you seen stark differences from one culture to another? Well, the good news is, that first of all, that uh, when we talk about cohesion, so the cohesion culture, we talk about that, that element of cohesion is actually present in all cultures. So, so to give us both a foundation of that, uh, to kind of make sense of what I'm going to tell you, the cohesion culture is creating an environment where people have a sense of belonging, are valued, and share mutual commitments. So that is consistent from one culture to the next how they go about the communication, how they go about helping a person feel like they belong would be different from one culture to the next. Give you this example. In Japan, when business leaders are having a very, uh, they're going to have a meeting, the first aspect of the meeting is much like it is in the South, our meet and greet, right? So it's very, very common, very cool, very casual. When you get into the meeting in Japan, it's cutthroat. And so therefore they've done all their niceties. They've, they've respected their families, respected each other. They've set up the respect aspect first. And then when they get into the meeting, it's all cutthroat, you know, do what they need to do. And when they're done, they're back to friends again. So they separate the difference between the meeting here and there. In the United States, it's not always like that. We don't have a clear distinction between having that cordial meet and greet it's because sometimes in the U.S. we bring that meet and greet into the meeting itself mm-hmm. and still expect there to be a certain level of decorum that happens in respective individuals. But, but you know, it can be quite uh, challenging and quite difficult in the Japanese culture when it comes to um, having a meeting and conducting a meeting. So that's just one example of how that goes. That's really interesting. Yeah, and I've worked with um, a number of international companies like, say, Toyota and Cal Brands who have, you know, headquartered in Japan, but have a large U.S. presence. And you certainly see some of that come up when you see some of the interactions between Japan, Japanese leadership and, and the folks in the U.S. So it's a really interesting point. Go ahead. Oh, and I was going to say, and because we're talking about culture, it's real important from and especially the communication of the leader, right, in, in culture is to make sure that the leader doesn't approach culture from a position of cultural superiority. Mm-hmm. That the ideal scenario is for the leader to approach culture from cultural relativism. So culture superiority is when I think that my culture, my way of doing it, what I know, what's inside my mind, my behaviors, my things are the best. And they become then the judgment you know, criteria for how I will, the lens by which I will see everything. That is cultural superiority. Cultural relativism, which it really is part of a leader who is more of a transformational mindset, that individual will view the cultures, traditions, rituals, their experiences, stories from the cultural lens of context, the perspective of how did that happen within that particular culture. 
as opposed to simply saying, well, my values are superior. I now have to enforce those values over here. And then what I see happening in this culture, that's wrong. That's that, that can't happen. Mm -hmm. So it is one of the ways in which we help leaders understand how to create belonging, especially when they have cross-functional teams and when they have international work project teams and groups that, that actually are being together is to ensure that they understand that. And the leader's responsibility in all of that is to ensure that the leader blends to the cultural identity of the unit that they're working with and not forcing everyone to comply with the leader's viewpoint or the leader's cultural ideas. And when they do, because when they do that, there's going to be a huge disconnect. Mm -hmm. So it's just an opportunity to have that understanding and acceptance and then establish common boundaries, common communications that bring the two together. So yeah, I love that. And I love the, how you, earlier you stated that, uh, you know, it's, we're focused on developing a cohesion culture, but that means something different in every country, right? There's not one right answer and all the others are wrong. It's putting on a different lens depending upon where you're at from a cultural perspective. And even in the same country, understanding that your team may have a different idea of culture than you may have, right? right. So you have to understand where they're coming from plus where the company wants you to go and adjust, which takes some humbleness, I think. So exactly. Like, so break down a little bit more for me just around the cohesion culture, you know, what you've outlined in the book and, and the overall framework. And then I think we'll find a lot of different pieces to dive into from there. Okay, good. I want to do that. But before I do that, I want to involve you in some listening participation. Okay. So are you ready for that? I'll do my best. Okay. So to kind of help help really reinforce the comment you just made, which was about the fact that the cohesion culture has a strategic framework and that str strategic framework is belonging value and mutual commitment. And then saying, how can that framework then, does that mean that every culture, every company I work with means they're going to be exactly the same culture? So here's now what we're going to get to. Here's our example. So I'm going to say, Greg, have you ever eaten chocolate cake? Yes. Okay. Have you eaten more than one piece of chocolate cake from different pieces of, from different cakes? In different settings? Yes. Right? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I pr and I promise not to ask you if you've eaten more than one piece in the same sitting. So you don't have to <laughs> worry about that. Okay. So when you've done that, and can you recall the taste? Do you think that those cakes tasted exactly alike? Absolutely not. Good. So now what you need for a chocolate cake are three primary ingredients in addition to the cocoa. So you need egg, you need milk, you need flour. And now you have a variety of choices of eggs that you can pick from brown, from white, from substitute, to yolk, to white only. You've got all of this option opportunities for eggs, for uh, milk, almond milk, coconut milk, 1%, skim, buttermilk. I mean, you've got all these options that you can pick. And then for flour, you've got gluten-free, you've got bleached, you've got all-purpose. I mean, so there's a number. So depending upon how you pick and choose those uh, those elements determines the chocolate cake you're providing. So same thing for cohesion culture, belonging. How do you go about creating belonging in an organization that goes beyond just fitting in? Because belonging is an inherent need that we have as mm -hmm. human beings. We need to be a part of something. And when you can belong, you know that you are investing a piece of your personality into the group. And it's so exciting when that happens, because when the, you create that group identity from the individuals working together, two magical things happen. One, 
individuals work toward a common goal. So they actually, hey, I'm good. I'm, I'm working. This is it. I understand what the I worked to the vision. The identity says this is what I've agreed to. The second thing that happens is even though that group may be attacked from external factors, they will fight tooth and nail to keep the group alive. And we see that so many times in just real life observations that we make with groups. And I want to be also just careful when I talk about this for belonging, just so the listeners don't get all skewed on this and you end up with a lot of hate mail. We're not talking about cult. I'm not talking about you give your entire personality into the group, but you do give a piece of it and it creates what's called group identity. And that's important. Mm -hmm. And when you have gotten to that spot of group identity, then you know that people belong. And I've got some techniques that help you figure out whether an individuals are actually belonging or not within the group, or are they just synthetically fitting in? Mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to value, in addition to the fact that you want individuals to be you know, respected and treated the right way that you... You bring good moral standards. You have some sort of group moral compass that becomes part of that group identity and all those values that you share. The other thing is that you have meaningful work. You must have meaningful work. You have to have purpose. Like what I'm doing has to make a difference because then when you do, then you're continuing to, to work even when the individual leader may not be present because you know what your job is. And if that job is connected, your individual job is connected to the collective uh, purpose of the organization, that, which might be also to deliver some product or service to the consumer, then now you have created great value. I have purpose. I have meaning. Oh, my passion now starts to come forward because I'm so excited about what I'm actually doing and I know that I'm making a difference. That also contributes back to belonging. So now you have this bridge of relationship between belong, belonging and value because now, oh my gosh, I feel a part of something special because what I'm doing makes sense. And then we move into the, the third element, which is shared mutual commitments. That obviously comes when we share some of the you know, group identity, you know, we, we actually have that shared commitment that we make there. We have shared commitment in our values of how we're going to support and help each other through whatever elements of the project are. But another key aspect of it is the development of the individual. And the leader is so important for the leader to create some sort of growth development or advancement opportunity and state that early on into the group interaction into the, the orientation when the individual first comes and they're being acclimated to the culture, being onboarded, that that has to be there. And the reason for that is because 63% of all employees are seeking some form of growth advancement or uh, development. Mm -hmm. And so it's real important for the organization to establish that early on, because when they do, when that person knows that there is a potential future for them, it goes that they really have had some serious conversations, they got a little bit of a path, then they begin to self-actualize. And what we know is that when a person's safety, security, and protection are under scrutiny, or when the person's not sure about that, and they have this ambiguous sort of thing, like, am I really doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Am, am I going to get ahead? Then all kinds of craziness happens in their communication. And they don't become free to really commit to the organization, to commit to each other and bring that. So that's really the cohesion culture is about belonging, value, mutual commitment. And those were just some of the ways in which I work with organizations to help them bring all that to the forefront. I absolutely love that framework. I think that's really powerful. And I have not necessarily looked at it that way in the past. 
I'd love to dive into each of those a bit. So as I think about the belonging piece, how do you start to understand if somebody feels like they're belonging or how to make adjustments so that they feel like they belong? Like, how do you start to bring that into life? So first of all, we do create a foundation within team building and team bonding activities. So team building and team bonding are two different things. Mm-hmm. Team building is skill set. Team bonding is relationship. You'll have a bit of team bonding with all team building because we're people, unless you're isolated them, right? So if a team building activity is to isolate individuals for whatever skill is going to be developed, then that would be the case. But for most part, most of the team buildings, you have some skill sort of uh, activity bonding is occurring. And in that, what you can determine, there's some things that you can observe. So you can observe how the individual participates, whether they contribute. And we're not talking about individuals who are outgoing versus not being so outgoing. I mean, we're not talking about that, Mm -hmm. but really just contributing. Do they contribute? Do they do something extra? Do they go above and beyond? What is it that you can definitely tell is in that area of belonging? That's what you can observe. Another way that that I'm able to help organizations is part of this five-step program that I helped put in place. And it's a cultural assessment survey. And in that survey, very specific questions are asked and you can determine whether the individual believes that they belong as long as they have been authentic with their answers to the questions, you have an idea whether they actually are belonging. So in addition to what you observe, you can also quantify it by uh, using the survey to, to really just get, to get a feel for it. The, the really good thing I should mention this to the listeners before we move forward in really more diving into the belonging value and mutual commitment is to understand that cohesion is a causal phenomenon. It means that when cohesion is present in an organization, you get performance. And the level of performance you get is the engagement that you want from the very beginning. So to help you understand the difference between what you sometimes hear as correlational data and causal data, I now need to do another group. I need to do another exercise with you. Are you up to it? Sure. Okay, good. So let's talk about correlational data first to give our listeners a grounded understanding of that. So I'm going to correlate rainy days and umbrellas. Mm-hmm. Okay, you've experienced rainy days, and you know what an umbrella is. So these two things come into mind, right? Mm-hmm. So I can tell you that there is a high statistical probability that there is a relationship between rainy days and umbrellas. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now, Greg, do you open an umbrella when it rains? Yes. Do you always open an umbrella when it rains? No. Okay. What do you do? By, you know, just be running to the car. So I don't need an umbrella, right? I might put on a raincoat, something like that. Good. Have you ever gone to the beach? Yes. Okay. Do you open an umbrella on the beach? Yes. And it's to shade you from the? Sun. Right. No rain. Shade you from the sun. Good. So. Although there is a high statistical probability between rainy days and umbrellas, rainy days do not cause umbrellas to be opened. When you have causal, you have cause and effect. Mm-hmm. When you have cohesion, you have performance. Causal behaviors, causal relationships between items is a better predictor of the final behavior of individuals. That's why through the research, Cohesion is a causal phenomenon because it creates the effect of performance. And through my research, my dissertation was in uh, group dynamics with the study of cohesion and was able to prove that cohesion 
creates performance in all stages of the group. It doesn't matter whether the group is just forming, doesn't matter whether the group has been there for a while or whether the group is just getting ready to, to exit. It will have performance in all of its stages as long as cohesion was present, as long as there is that sense of belonging, they have value and they share in mutual commitments and they work cohesively as a group, they will have performance. So that's really awesome. So that gives you now some background behind it. So in addition to your just your empirical observations of belonging, you now can have some other tangible things that you can do to actually assess whether the individual is feeling that sense of belonging. And again, it always works like this way. You know, it's not, nothing is 100%, especially if people aren't authentic or true. So if they're hiding something or they take the survey and they're hiding information, you can't necessarily uncover that. But when you build that information with others within the organization, you can be able to determine if you have an outlier or not. And if you do, then you have an opportunity to take a look at it. And then for value, you look at value and you make sure that you have trust that actually occurs within the organization. Patrick Lencioni, through his five uh, dysfunctions of a team, uh, actually builds a very strong case that without trust as a foundation, then you end up having a ton of dysfunction that will occur from that. And uh, so those are just some of the ways, but really the cultural assessment is probably the best way for an organization to determine if they do have that level of cohesion that they think they have. Yeah. I also want to make sure that I mention this. There's a difference between happy and satisfied people mm. and people being in cohesion. Mm. You can have happy and satisfied people in cohesion, but if you have cohesion, then you can get happy and satisfied. But you can have happy and satisfied and not have cohesion because mm -hmm. people can just be happy and satisfied, but, yeah. they're, they're, but they're doing something else. So what I also work with leaders is, is this, is, and, and to kind of consider that you can't just observe engagement. That's why you work for cohesion so you can get the performance, you get the engagement. For instance, I can tell you that you observe an employee coming into your company and they come on time, they sit at their desk and do their job and they don't bother you very much during the day. And you think to yourself, wow, do I have the perfect engaged employee and I wanna replicate them. But the reality is until you've done some additional work, all you have is a person who shows up to work on time, does what they're supposed to do and doesn't bother many people doesn't necessarily mean they are engaged. Not at all. And when yeah. you have an engagement, what you're looking for is that level of excitement, enthusiasm, buying into the organization, uh, sharing the vision and moving the organization forward. If you have an individual who comes in and does their job and doesn't bother you much, you may have an individual who's very stagnant. They're not sharing the vision. They're not moving the organization forward. Does that make them wrong? No. All I'm saying to you is, that's what, but that's what you have. Mm -hmm. And if you want an engaged employee who comes to work on time, does what they're supposed to do and doesn't bother you very much, then you make sure that they're involved in a cohesive environment and ways in which they can participate in that cohesive environment so that your introverts and extroverts can coexist in the same space. And I so, just want to make sure that people listening to this do not think that it's only, it, it, it's only those individuals who are outgoing who are the cohesive part of the team. Everyone is a part of a cohesive mm -hmm. team. So if we end it, if if we locate somebody who's not feeling a strong sense of belonging, it sounds like the key is to focus on creating an environment of cohesion that allows them to participate more effectively. It's not so much about, I mean, it's partly obviously, but about understanding them one-on-one -on -one and what's really important to them. I think that's another part of the equation for sure, but you can't just fix stuff for them. It's, a, it's about focusing on the culture to, so it's a better fit for them. Correct. And if you want to address behavior, you have to address values. 
So the formula to get to behaviors is this, it's core values, whatever my values are, and you should have an alignment of my values and the organizational values. Mm -hmm. Those values actually become the foundation of my belief system. When I say I believe in something, I believe because I have a value system that supports it. And then my attitude, how I will approach something, whether it's negative or positive and, and my excitement about it, whatever that may be, my involvement is an opportunity that sources from my values, my beliefs, and then my attitudes. And when you combine all of them, you get behaviors. So if you want to address behaviors and people have said that person's got a bad attitude and they want to fix the behavior, they have to address the core values. So in the, in the book, uh, the book is divided into three acts. The first act is be a leader. Second act is build the culture. Third act is bring it to life. So in the be the leader, I talk about seven attributes of an effective leader of cohesion. So first of all, I will tell you that regardless of whether you are deemed a follower or a leader by explicit definition, every follower is implicitly a leader. Because if you're answering questions, giving direction, participating in something where you're making autonomous decisions, you're a leader. So we then go with the concept that everyone is a leader. So looking at those seven attributes of an effective leader of cohesion, it would be important then for the individual uh, defined leader of that individual to work on coaching with them that actually exposes those seven attributes and gives the individual an opportunity because you move from skill to will when the individual desires to actually adopt these. And so those seven attributes are teachable, showing compassion, extending grace, practicing humility, being a truth seeker, having purity of heart, and then lastly would be peacemaking. And those are the seven attributes of an effective leader of cohesion. And you can build that into the coaching uh, concept that you have with the employee. And then, and I help individuals um, focus on coaching through a, a particular way in which they will set up the conversation. And what's really exciting about that is it builds right into your topic, which is the art of communication. Mm -hmm. So to help our audience get some structure around communication that will help them in individuals for belonging, value, mutual commitment, to get them to cohesive. Uh, the first thing is that they have to know how to posture or they know how to position what this message is. So what is it that they need to get done? What is the need? What is the issue? What is that? Get that really crystal clear and formalized. Then they begin to frame what's going to happen. And the framing part says, hmm, who am I talking to? What do they hear? Uh, what have they said? Uh, it's kind of like that empathy map where you're really focusing on all the aspects, putting yourself into their shoes. That framing does that. Mm -hmm. Then you begin to select the exact words you want to use. Now you're encoding the message. And then the last aspect of that, so all three of those kind of work together before the delivery. Decoding is the fourth aspect, and it happens after the information is delivered. So in that, I will provide a more formal structure for leaders to help them work through that. And then how would they conduct those conversations? Uh, then sometimes that's when I work with the executive to actually uh, custom and tailor it for the individual that is there. Because as you know, as I do, there are a lot of different nuances and dynamics that happen when it comes with people. It's not just one size fits all. Absolutely. Yeah. And I love that framework. And one thing I'm always taking away as I'm having these conversations is that good communication takes good preparation, right? You can't yes. just blurt out, Hey, I want you to do this. You have to think about 
what you want to accomplish, how you're going to communicate it in a way that it resonates with them and how they're going to take it away. And then on top of that, you know, body language, tone, all those things play into it as well. One thing I'm interested in, especially in the context of, of culture and engagement, when I'm communicating with somebody, how do I best understand if they took away what I wanted them to take away, right? Because I think yeah. often we tell people things we think they understand, but then we find out the next day they had no idea what we were talking about. Right, exactly. So so some of the things that we can do with that is in the decoding aspect. So there's a, a variety of tips and techniques in decoding. Certainly, if you're one-on-one, one of the ways that you decode, or like us when we're visually here, is to look at body language and really kind of use those body language cues as clues, but they're not definitive. Uh, and they may require some uh, gut check to make sure of that. One of the ways to decode is a little bit of how we begin a coaching session. And that is you ask open, non-threatening, non-defensive questions. So to simply say to me, uh, how did that, how did you perceive the information that I just, just shared with you? Another technique is to ask people to kind of recap. Can you recap for me what it is that I said to you? And a lot of that just depends on the complexity of it. You don't use these all the time. You don't just have one thing that you go back to. It's like your tools in your toolbox. You don't use a hammer for everything. You don't use a screwdriver for everything. You don't use a saw for everything. So you pick the tool that's best for you based on the individual that you're working with. Um, you also can observe in the decoding uh, based on the individual's behaviors or the actions that they take afterwards if it actually resonated with them. And if not, then you have an opportunity to do something that I call reset. And we would uh, teach an individual how to do a reset conversation or a reset communication that will allow them to be more effective in how that information is getting across. Uh, you can also observe it in the, not only the, length, the uh, actions they take, but what are they writing in email responses? What are they actually you know, communicating to others when they verbally communicate. So you have all of these things that you have to take into consideration in that in that decoding aspect. And I, one other thought I have there is resetting the person on what they're supposed to do, but then also getting your own learning, right? Because it's on you as a communicator to understand what you did wrong and how you can communicate it differently next time. So there's two sides to that coin that I think is often missed. Absolutely. And so an individual who, a leader who actually really subscribes more to transformational principles. There are four transformational principles that we also, that also is taught in this Be the Leader uh, program. The fourth one is self-awareness. And as a leader, you have to be self-aware. It's what I call your sort of out-of-body leadership experience, where you are preparing ahead of time. You mentioned preparation. That's really good. But you should be visualizing and preparing for conversations. You don't necessarily like in the beginning, it will become very rigid. It will become very formalized, but your brain learns very quickly and you have the ability to actually do things so quickly that you'll do the steps, but it, you'll think it's all at one time because of the way the brain can process. But you should be visualizing conversations. You should be visualizing um, information you're communicating, especially in a business setting. Now, if we're socially going out and we're having, you know, a cocktail or we're having some beverage or, you know, we're having just, you know, coffee and bagels or whatever, I don't know that I'm going to put a lot of effort into it unless, of course, I expected you to do some action with my communication. But if it's just general sharing, I'm not going to visualize it as well. But in the business setting, especially if you are trying to really shape behavior and you need to be visualizing what that conversation is going to be like. And it's not just visualizing, oh, I'm having the conversation. 
You should be visualizing what the outcome of that conversation will be like. And that's going to help you so much in your preparation for your, your posturing and positioning, your framing, your encoding, and then, of course, the decoding that will come with that. Yeah, something I find to be really effective is when you're visualizing that, you know, visualize it from your own eyes, then get into the head of the person who you're talking to, visualize it from their eyes, then a third party, right, watching it from the outside, visualize it from their eyes, then come back to the beginning and think about what you want to change. Um, I think yeah, it's exactly, I can't remember the term for that. There's like, it's like an NLP technique, but it's a very powerful approach and doesn't have to take a super long time, but it gives you great depth as you're thinking about the nuances of how you communicate things. It does, because here's the deal. We often say that someone else's, that their perception is our reality. And what I suggest to leaders is that, although that we could consider that to be true because it's said enough, it doesn't have to be the end of the story. Mm. So the opportunity for leaders is to guide orientation of perception so that you can agree on perspective. So it's moving perception to perspective. So that's also something that uh, that I sort of teach and work with uh, leaders to do is to how do you guide this perception that's completely off the rail and get it back over to perspective and, and how to do that. But it's just really important to do it. Otherwise, you'll just continue to be working askew from each other as opposed to working more parallel, uh, which is really what you want is a more parallel sort of uh, feeling between two people together. You want that congruency. Sometimes that parallel is really lines over top of each other. So you're operating on the same line. So the idea is that you're operating, you know, when I say parallel, because it's like, sometimes I need my own path, but I'm still working in the same direction. I'm not working against you. You know, I'm working for the same direction. When I am askew, you know, the lines actually are going apart from each other further and further apart. So there is no congruency uh, to happen the further apart you get. Sure, for sure. So just to switch topics, a couple a couple questions I like to ask everybody who I have on the show, if that's okay. Uh, sure. The first one is around the power of conversation. So I'm a big believer that just one conversation can really change your life. And I love to ask my guests if there's a conversation they can point to that had a really big impact on them. So for me, the biggest conversation that I would relate to um, is a story that I unfold in my uh, third book, which is called Fanny Rules nine lessons behind the making of a leader. And I was from a poor family, uh, a very poor area in West Virginia, and uh, we barely had two nickels. So rubbing anything together was not necessarily that. And at 12 years old, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. So living in a small town with limited income, limited education, having to go 30 to 45 minutes before you could get any kind of medical treatment at all, the first reaction is mom was going to die. So through mom's recovery, after having the surgery, it was my responsibility being the oldest at home at the time was to care for her. So during the summer of my 12th year, I took care of mom at her bedside. Mom made a, a decision at that time. She could have let the cancer consume her. She could have just withered away. She could have been apathetic about it. Oh, woe is me. But that didn't happen. Mom chose character over circumstance. And she taught me that choices define my character, not the circumstances. That who I am can always be present in everything that happens. And sometimes ugly, bad, messy things happens to people, but it's how you deal with those that truly determines your character, not that circumstance itself. She would often say to me, we were poor, 
as a condition of the pocketbook, but not the heart. And so the circumstance of being poor didn't stop me. I will tell you that that made a difference because I would not have a PhD today. I did not, I'm not from a family of money. I had to work for everything I did. But that lesson that she taught me at that very young age has followed me all the way through. I received my bachelor's, the first in our family to do that, my master's, first in the family to do it, and a PhD to do it. And I am extremely grateful for that. And because of that, I often think of how I should continue to give to others, which is why mentoring and providing that type of coaching and, and development opportunities to people is so important to me because it's just a replication of what my mother did. And so that the book is a tribute to her leadership legacy, uh, an individual with only a 12th grade education, but yet she was wise well beyond her years. Very powerful. Very powerful. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. Thanks for asking and allowing me to do that. For sure. For sure. So second question is uh, around communication skills. And when you think about all that you've accomplished so far, there's one communication skill that you could have had in more abundance that would have made it a lot easier for you. What would that have been? Um, to listen. Um, to listen? Listen more. <laughs> although, although mom told me, listen, she said, God gave you two ears and one mouth so you could do twice as much listening as you do talking. But sometimes that has not always worked well for me <laughs> in, in the process. And so really just listening so that you uh, don't jump to conclusions, right? Mm -hmm. To do that. Uh, she would often tell me, she said, uh, Troy, it would be much better for you to be a Mr. Learn-It-All than a Mr. Know-It-All. And really learn information and then put that information that you learned into action. But you do that in a way and what I've learned through communication is that I do that in a way that builds self-discovery for the other person. And um, I think I would have loved that if I would have paid more attention to listening early on in life. I think it would have, I would have had much easier uh, career opportunities early on. But, hey, I'm grateful that I got it now. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's so important when we're talking about culture and engagement for leaders to be able to listen to their team and and you know, fully listen, not just the words that they say, but everything else that comes along with it. It's a really yes, needed skill out there in leadership for sure. Yes, it is. Last question for you. Who is the best communicator that you know, either know of or know personally, and they can be alive or dead? And why do you say that about them? That would be Jack Williams. And Jack Williams was a tremendous mentor for me uh, during some of my, uh, my growth in my professional uh, career. And he really gave me he gave me the opportunity to make mistakes and didn't make me wrong when I made those mistakes. He was able to help me through self-discovery. He also, uh, you know, I'm a man of faith. And so he had a, a nice, you know, he had a biblical background as well. So it just kind of helped me put perspective into, you know, how I could, uh, you know, really sort of recover sometimes from some of the mistakes that I made mm -hmm. to do that. So, and he was just a great communicator, so compassionate. When I talked about those seven attributes of an effective leader of cohesion, I would have identified Jack Williams 100% in that way. And when I uh, received my, my last transition of career, uh, moving from uh, where I was previously to this current role, Jack was instrumental in making that happen. And since, unfortunately, Jack has passed away, but thank you for allowing me to pay homage to Jack. Uh, even though some of the listeners may not know Mr. Williams, I certainly know him. Absolutely. So final, final question for you. Where can folks find you? Where can they connect with you? Where can they get the book, et cetera? 
Okay, great. So it's really easy to get the book. You just simply go to amazon.com and you type in cohesion culture, it'll come up. Or you can find me at drtroyhall.com. And in that, there's also a section on the books that I've uh, put out. And so uh, you can connect and buy the books uh, in that way. It's easy. Uh, you know, folks want to know, like, how, how, you know, to connect. And I give you a website and people go, yeah, right, you know, to do that. But listen, I'm involved in social media. So in LinkedIn and Facebook, specifically Instagram, Twitter, I'm at Dr. Troy Hall. So look how easy it is. Craig, <laughs> I made communication so easy. You find me at drtroyhall.com, Dr. Troy Hall on social media. You can private message me. I will respond because here's what I tell everyone. I'm in charge of my busyness, not you. So if you want to reach out to me, absolutely do it. If you don't, then you don't. That's your choice. I love it. I love it. Well, definitely reach out to Dr. Troy. Tremendous value today. I, I know I learned a lot about culture and, and how to get my team engaged more effectively and how to be a better leader. So thank you for that. Oh, you're quite welcome. And the last message that I leave to the uh, listeners before going is simply this. You don't have to know everything. You just need to be teachable. I love it. I love it. Well, uh, thanks so much for the time and uh, look forward to digging in into your book there and learning more about the cohesion culture. That's right. Cohesion culture, proven principles to retain your top talent. Find it on Amazon. Thank you, Dr. Troy. You're welcome. Don't let the momentum stop now. Continue your path towards connecting at another level by joining the Communication Nation. We'll be discussing today's topics as well as more real-world solutions to transforming your life personally and professionally at facebook.com slash groups slash join the communication nation. Remember, you're only one good conversation away from transforming your business and life. And that conversation starts right here on The Art of Communication.